if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I sure do hope you do, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Um, I was told, and I'm looking and I can't half see, but I was told that our, our former pastor, Steve Cloud, is here today. Steve, are you here? I was told you were here. Oh, okay. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Let's give God a hand for Steve Cloud. I appreciate this dear man of God, and my understanding is you have officially retired, I believe, or or something like that, and um, I'm glad you're here this morning. You know, over the past five years, The Walking Dead has become one of the most popular shows on TV. As a matter of fact, between the ages of 18 and 49, it is the most watched show on television. Now, now let me give you the premise of the show. It's about a world in which there has been some kind of virus that kills people, and, and then they come back to life. They are the walking dead and the walking dead have taken over the world now you and I know that regardless of how many movies how many television shows speak of zombies and the walking dead there's just not such a thing as the walking dead we don't need to concern ourselves about a zombie apocalypse and yet Spiritually, we know that the Bible speaks about the walking dead. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians tells us that that every one of us, apart from the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God, are dead in our trespasses and sins. Even though we are living, even though we are breathing, even though we are walking and we are talking, we are dead. We are dead. The walking dead. And if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, you know, apart from the grace and the mercy of God, apart from experiencing the new birth and being given life through the Spirit of God, you know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you know, if you're a Christ follower, that once you experience the life, that only Christ can give, then you have a responsibility to share that life with other people because there is no real life apart from Jesus. And yet, I believe even though we know that spiritually, we know that personally, we know that individually, I think that we struggle When we talk about dead or dying churches. And yet, the statistics reveal, if statistics are correct, that 80% of churches in America are either plateaued or declining. That means that they are already dead or they are dying. And depending on which research you listen to, between four and 10,000 churches 
are closing their doors every year in America. They are shutting down. They are disbanding. They have died. The life rights have been given. The funeral has taken place. And, and all that's left is the grieving. Several years ago, we were contacted by a group of people. And we went and met with these people on a Wednesday night. There were eight of them. They were what was left of a church. And they began to talk about what they needed to do, what they could do, because they, for all intents and purposes, were dead. And we talked to them about some possibilities, some things that they could do. And, and they chose to give us their property. They realized that, that apart from something happening, something new taking place, they were going to literally die and, and someone else was going to take over their property. So they gave it to us. And last Sunday... That church had 240 people in it. You see, all across America there are churches that are dead and there are churches that are dying. And we need to realize that. Perhaps you've heard the story about the young boy who was in church with his dad and, and when they left the services that morning, the little boy noticed his plaque on the wall and, and he couldn't read. So he said, Dad, what is, what's that? And his dad said, well, son, that, that's a plaque that's in honor of the people who, who died in the service. He was talking about the military service. But the little boy said, which one, 915 or 1045? <laughs> now, maybe you've been to a dead church before. Maybe you haven't. But as we look at the church at Sardis, we discover that this was a dead church church. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to a dead church. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me. It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, of the seven churches Jesus delivered a message to in Asia Minor, only the church in Sardis and the church in Laodicea didn't receive a compliment. There was not a single word 
of praise to this church or the church at Laodicea. It's important for us to know that Jesus has no use for a dead church. Now, there are four things I want you to see as we, as we look through this passage this morning as Jesus delivers this message to this church. This is the first thing. Our reputation does not always reveal our reality. The truth is, this church had quite a name. They had a reputation. Most likely, they had a, a good membership. They most probably had some money. I imagine there was a lot going on in this church. There was a, a lot of programs. They were well planned. If, if someone was moving to town... And they asked the people that lived in the town, in the community, can you recommend a church to us? This would have been on the top of the list. This perhaps would have been the very first church that people recommended you need to go and visit. Their music was first rate. The preacher was, was an exceptional speaker. New people were coming each and every week by all appearances, this was a great church. But understand, looks can be deceiving. Deceiving. You need to listen very closely. Just because a church has a, a lot of activity, some quality programs, entertaining services and speakers, that does not mean that that is a living church. They called themselves a church, but Jesus said that they were a morgue with a cross. We need to understand that, that man's evaluation is not always God's evaluation. He is able to look below the surface both personally and corporally and see what we are really like. Jesus sees more than our Sunday services, our Wednesday programs, our, our weekday ministries. He sees more than the world is able to see. Do you remember what, what God said to Samuel when he was looking for a king? God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, we can paint over the surface and, and present a pretty picture, but God, God strips away all the covering and, and, and he sees the true person. He, he sees the true church. We need to understand who we really are will one day be revealed. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? And he was speaking to individuals. But what he said applies to churches as well. In Matthew 7 he said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons, perform many miracles? But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You see, we need to understand that, that both individually... And corporately, we can have a reputation, but that reputation doesn't tell the real story. Now, what are the signs of a, of a dead or dying church? Tom Rainer wrote a book several years ago entitled The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Tom Rainer is the president of Lifeway. 
And in that, he revealed nine characteristics of a deceased or, or a dying church. I, I just want to give you three. The first one, he said, is that the past is hero. You see, when a church begins to worship the past and, and revel in the past, most likely it doesn't have much of a future. A church's greatest days doesn't need to be seen as we look in the rearview mirror. A church's greatest days need to be seen as we look out into the future. Next, the Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. Whenever a church forgets its purpose for existence, its extinction is not far ahead. Every church exists for one purpose. Every church. And that is to bring glory to God by bringing people to Jesus. That's why we exist. And three, personal preferences take precedence over adapting to reach the community around them. Whenever a church begins to focus more on what the members want and the members like rather than the needs of a lost world, that church is probably on life support. Now let me give you three things that I see that I believe reveal a a dead church, if I may. First of all, there is no power. When the Apostle Paul was talking about the church in the last days, he said it will have a form of godliness, but it will deny its power. And so the first thing that I think that we need to ask when we, we ask, is a church really alive, is this, is there power? Our lives being changed, our marriages being restored, our relationships being made right. Is there a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are people turning from darkness to light? You see, the power of God is, is not necessarily seen in a well-produced service. It's not even seen in a, in a well-programmed ministry or a well-organized care program the power of God is seen when lives are changed I love what the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11 he said this to the church at Corinth do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God and and then he gives us a laundry list of of wickedness He said, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. Who will not be a part of God's kingdom? And then I want you to listen to what Paul said. He said, and that is what some of you were. (laughs) You were the drunkards. You were the swindlers. You were the liars. You were the thieves. You were the adulterers. You were the idolaters. You were the homosexuals. You were all of these things, but, listen to what he said, you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, the power of God changed their lives. You see, the power of God opens blind eyes. The power of God sets captives free. The power of God changes a person at their core. I mean, we can have programs to to rehabilitate a person's activity. But only God can change a person's heart. And so a dead church has no power. You don't see people being supernaturally delivered from the power of darkness. Second, a dead church has no emotion. Now I want you to listen very carefully. I believe that emotion is, a, is an evidence of life, at least healthy life. And I believe that we should have emotion-filled worship services because I do believe that emotional involvement is a sign of life. But, but listen, if emotional involvement was a, a sign of spiritual life, then Saturday afternoons at Williams Bryce or Death Valley would be the greatest worship services in the world. Amen? So, so just because people are emotionally involved doesn't mean there's spiritual life. The truth is that you can go to a sacred concert and you can go to a secular concert. And oftentimes there is no difference in the way that people respond. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I believe that it's good to get caught up in the moment of, of worship. And, and I believe with all my heart that we should clap and we should say amen and we should raise our hands and, and we should get emotional. I believe all of those things. But understand, just because we get emotional in a service does not mean that there is spiritual life. Because here's what I've observed I've observed that there are people that that go to a spiritual concert and they go to a worship service and I mean they raise their hands and, and, and they shout and they cry and they do all of these things and yet on Monday there's no difference in their life. And so we need to understand just because we are emotionally involved doesn't mean there's spiritual life. When I say there is no emotion, that's not what I'm talking about. There, there are two things that, that I'm talking about. In, in Acts 2, when, when Peter preached to the people at Pentecost in verse 37, it says they were cut to their heart. They were overcome with a conviction. They were overwhelmed with the fact that they were lost. You see, that's the emotion that I believe is lacking in dead churches. Oh, we, we may have people that, that go through the baptismal pool, and we may even have a lot of them, and we may have people that utter prayers, and, and, and they repeat the right words, but the question is, have they ever been cut to the heart? Have they ever been overcome with the conviction of their sin? All I know is what the Bible teaches and my personal experience. And I know that when I got saved, I was overwhelmed with my lostness. 
and my need to be saved. It wasn't an intellectual decision. It wasn't simply an emotional response to an appeal. I was overcome with the fact that I was lost and I was a sinner and I needed Jesus in my life. When a church is dead, we don't see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But there's another thing I want you to see in in Acts 17. The Apostle Paul is is in Athens and, and it says in Acts 17 verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He was emotionally stirred Because people were in bondage to sin and false gods. So the emotion that I'm talking about when there is no emotion in a dead church is the emotion that comes when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit touches our heart, touches our life, transforms us. And then as Christ followers, the emotion that occurs as we see people caught up in the bondage of sin. May I ask you a question? When was the last time you really grieved over the lostness of someone? It greatly distressed you because they were caught up in darkness. In a dead church, there's no power, there's no emotion, and then third, there's no growth. Look at the middle Part of verse 2 in chapter 3, it says, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Now, that word complete can mean a variety of things, but one of the things that that word can mean is increasing. Anything that has ceased to grow has started to die. Did you hear me? Anything that has ceased to grow has started to die. And, And as a church, there are two ways that we need to grow. We need to grow numerically. We should always be striving to reach more people. And there are some that get get concerned when churches talk about numbers, but numbers represent people, people who are lost and need Jesus. And and a church that is alive, spiritually alive, is going to always be desiring to reach more and more people for Jesus. Now, understand, just because a church has crowds does not mean that it is a spiritually alive church. And just because a church may not have great crowds doesn't mean that it's not a spiritually alive church. Because there are some places where there just aren't a whole lot of people. And there are some places, both in America and around the world, where where the ground is still very hard. And so we need to be very carefully judging whether another church is spiritually alive based upon the numbers that they have or the numbers they don't have. What we need to understand is as a body of Christ, it should always be our desire to continue to increase in numbers because numbers represent people. But we shouldn't only be growing numerically, we should be growing spiritually and we should be growing missionally. In other words, we should be growing in our maturity as believers. 
The Great Commission doesn't only say go into the world and make disciples. It says teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so a spiritually alive church is a church where people are growing into spiritual maturity. And and part of the process of spiritual maturity is more and more people are going to be answering the call to go. You see, our desire as a church should not just be for for us to attract more and more people here. Our desire as a church should be that we send more and more people out. Not just on a week trip or a 10-day trip, but we send people out to plant churches in other places, to serve on mission in other countries because it's not about us, it's about the kingdom of God. And so... A church's reputation does not necessarily show its reality. But then let's move on. The second thing we see in this passage, and we got to hurry here, is there are two things Jesus provides that will give life to a dead church. You see, Jesus is the great physician, and while he was here on this earth, he healed the sick and he even raised the dead. But the same Jesus that physically raised the dead can spiritually raise the dead and and we see in this passage as in each letter to the seven churches that that how Jesus describes himself to that church speaks to the needs of that church and so you need to understand as we discovered last week that as Jesus reveals who he is he's revealing something about himself that this church desperately needs And Jesus says two things about himself. He says, first of all, I am the one who holds the seven spirits of God. Now, this isn't speaking about some posse of of seven spiritual beings. But rather, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God in all of his fullness. Jesus is saying what is lacking in this church is the Holy Spirit's power and presence. And understand, whenever there is a dead church, whenever there is no power, whenever there is no conviction, emotion that that brings conviction, whenever there is no growth, what is lacking is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's presence. Because understand, we can we can grow things without God's presence. But it won't be a church. It won't grow the kingdom of God. And that's what the prophet Zechariah said in chapter 4 verse 6. Zechariah said it's not by might, it's not by power. But it's by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. Without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The church is going to be dead. Let me just read you a couple of verses for the sake of time. John 6 verse 63. Jesus said the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, the Apostle Paul said, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Romans chapter 8 verse 2, he said, Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Spiritual life comes from the Holy Spirit. Tragically, 
Someone said years ago, Carl Bates was his name. He said, if the Holy Spirit died, most of our churches would meet next Sunday and not know the difference. And that's sad. So what do we do? We need to pray and we need to position ourselves so that the Holy Spirit will fill us with his power and his presence. So Jesus said that I hold the seven spirits of God. I am the one that can bring the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit into your body. And, and then second, he tells us that, that he holds the seven spirits of God, or the seven, excuse me, the seven stars. Now remember, as we looked at chapter 1, we, we discovered that this could talk about literal angels that, that watched over the churches, but but most likely, this referred to the spiritual leaders, the, the pastors of the churches. And, and what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that I hold the spiritual leadership, the godly leadership of this church in my hands. And I want you to listen very carefully. God can begin revival any way he wants. But here's what I know. Spiritual leadership can kill revival. That's why it's so important for you to pray for your pastors. Because, listen, if you fall, it's going to, it's going to affect your sphere of influence. If a pastor falls, it's going to affect his sphere of influence, which is going to be much greater spiritually typically than yours. And so you pray for your pastors. You, you find godly pastors. I, I mean, this is, this is what I've always told pastor search committees when they call me saying, can you recommend someone to our church? What I always say is, is well, what you need to do is you need to find the man of God that is called of God to lead your church, and then you need to follow him and support him and pray for him as he seeks to reach your community in the world for Jesus. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and all of his power and presence, and I can provide you with that godly leadership. And then Jesus says there are five things that this church needs to do. He commands them to do. Let me give them to you quickly. We see this beginning in verse 2, really going through verse 4. But there are five imperatives, there are commands, there are steps this church must take. First, he says, you've got to wake up. You've got to quit being asleep. You've got to admit that there is a problem. You see, a church will never experience revival a church will never experience life if it thinks it's alive and yet the power of God, the emotion of God, the growth that God wants is not there because the Spirit of God is not there. And so Jesus said the first thing you've got to do is you've got to wake up, you've got to admit there's a problem. And, and then he said you need to work out. You need to strengthen what remains. It's not a Enough to wake up. When you wake up, you need to get out of your spiritual bed and you need to hit the spiritual gym. Because if you don't, you're going to become spiritually flabby and your, your spiritual muscles are going to atrophy, are going to experience atrophy. 
And we don't want that. So what do we do? We go back to the basics. We get back into the Word. And let me ask you, how many of you have a daily time where you're systematically getting into the Word, asking God to speak to you? You start praying again. You, you praise Him. You thank Him. You repent before Him. And, and, and then you petition Him. You ask Him to do a work in you and a work through you. You ask Him to help you become the, the man or the woman that you need to become. You get plugged into the fellowship like you need to be. There are some of you here, and I am so glad you're here in worship almost every week. But, but listen, there are some of you that aren't involved in a small group. You're not involved in a life group, and you desperately need to be. You need to get plugged into that group where, where you can interact with one another, where you, can, where, where you can discuss the Word of God and how it applies to your life, where you can pray for one another and care for one another and, and accomplish the one another's of Scripture in each other's life. And, and what I've discovered is if we just do these basic things, it'll make a big, big difference in our life and then he says that we need to look back we need to remember what we've received and heard now what is he referring to he's referring to the gospel we need to go back to that moment when we were saved here's what I know whenever I get spiritually lax whenever I begin to struggle with who I am and whose I am all I need to do is go back to that moment where I received the gospel for the first time. And Jesus changed my life. I can't answer for you. But what I can say is, for me, Jesus changed my life. When I understood the gospel. He made me a new person from the inside out. And whenever I get lax at sharing my faith. Whenever I get discouraged in, in my spiritual walk. When, whenever I begin to doubt whether all this is true. All I have to do is go back. And remember what I heard and received. And how Jesus absolutely rocked my world. And then he said you need to hold fast. You need to obey. Once we wake up, we admit, we work out, we begin to put into practice that, those basics again, those spiritual disciplines. Once we look back and remember, we hold fast, we obey what Jesus tells us to do. And finally we let go, we repent. And when we repent, that's where we turn loose of all of those things that are holding us back. And, and for some of us here this morning, there are things in your life that are keeping you from being where God wants you to be. And you know what they are. And that's why the author of Hebrews said, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So what's our part 
In resurrecting a dead church, we need to wake up and admit the problem. We need to work out, renew our spiritual disciplines. We need to look back, remember what Jesus has done for us. We need to hold fast and make that commitment to radical obedience. And then we need to let go. We need to turn a loose of the old. But don't miss this warning that he gives us, really beginning in verse 3. He says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come. You see, Jesus is giving this church an option. You can do the things you need to do so that the Spirit of God can come in you and bring life to your church again. Or you can refuse. And if you refuse, just watch out. Because I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Now, this isn't referring to to his second coming. This is referring to his judgment on the church. You see, God's judgment comes when we least expect it. We talked about that last week, where we oftentimes think that the judgment of God isn't coming. Because we don't see the the Jezebels being judged like we saw last week. And yet what we need to understand is God's judgment comes like a thief in the night. It comes when we least expect it. And so Jesus gives us this option. He says, you can do these things you need to do so that I can bring life to your church or I'm going to judge your church. Now, here's the one positive word in this church. Jesus said there are a few, even in this dead church, that remain faithful. And Jesus gave those few a promise. First of all, he said you'll be dressed in white, which is speaking about the purity that he gives. All of our sins will be wiped away there will no longer be any sin and and you who are followers of Jesus I know you're looking forward to that day I am because I so struggle with with sinful thoughts and and bad attitudes and and there are things that I used to do that I don't do anymore but it seems like the closer I get to Jesus the more the more destitute I realize that I really am And one day, on that day, all sin is going to be wiped away. And then he says, we don't have to worry about rejection. He will never blot our name out of the book of life. say, what does that mean? Well, the Bible seems to indicate that there is a book of life that records the names of every person who has ever been born. And one day, those people who die apart from Jesus will be blotted out of that book. But our names will never be blotted out of that book. And he tells us that he will acknowledge us before his father. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but but as I look at the options, the judgment of God coming like a thief in the night, or these white robes of purity, and the realization that, that I am his and nothing can change that. There's really no choice. For me, I, I, I want the latter, not the former. I want the, the last, not the first. But what we need to understand is every one of us has a choice. It's up to us to decide individually whether we're going to give our life to him and corporately 
whether we're going to be the church we need to be. Now, I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I, I want us to talk, first of all, individually. Because here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that there's someone here today who has never experienced life the way Jesus brings it. You may have been a church member for a long time. But if you were honest with yourself this morning, you would have to admit, I've never experienced a new birth. My life's never really been changed because the Spirit of God has taken up residence in my life. And, and I'm just here to tell you that if God comes to live in you, your life is going to change. And so if you're here and, and individually you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered your all, you've never humbled yourself before the creator of everything, asking him to forgive you, trusting him to save you, giving your life to him, then I want to encourage you to do that this morning. You can pray this prayer if it's the desire of your heart. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm tired of living life my way. I need you. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins, to make me new. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. <coughs> Come into my life. Take control. Make me new. From this moment on, I want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.